Hello and welcome to Dynamics Update. Uh, this time is it's a regular episode and uh, me and my colleague, colleague Gustav will uh, talk about 10.0.26. Hello Gustav, how are you today? Hello Johan, I'm doing great as always. Nice. Uh, all right, so uh, how have you been since the last time? I've been great, thanks. I'm waiting for uh, summer to come, uh, hopefully soon, but... Um... Uh, couldn't can't really complain now uh, about the weather either, so I'm I'm doing great. And you? Uh, I'm suffering from allergies, so it's almost <laughs> as good. Yeah, I feel sorry. For <laughs> but that that's spring for you. So uh, why not? Why shouldn't we get started? Um, so uh, I'll let you start this time. Thank you. It's an honor. Um, as always, I go to my my comfort zone and start with commerce <laughs> for commerce platform. Um, we're working on version 26 now, might be worth mention. Uh, so a lot of stuff coming after the initial uh, first wave, the spring wave, speaking about spring, <laughs> spring wave release. Um, there are a number of features coming in for commerce, but the main one I wanted to mention is the uh, support for catalogs in the e-commerce channel, specifically the B2B, uh, where I see a lot of potential in this and the, the B2B platform, uh, specifically the site builder and all of that, where you now, in a very common well, setup or a common scenario, is that you have different pricing or different, you, you provide different goods to different partners. So now you can simply define the catalogs and use those uh, like partner-specific partner product catalogs. Um, and you might, may, you might also have special pricing per partner. So it really allows for, for flexibility there. And I think that's worth, look, if you have a, B2B sales channel, not really like um, tens of millions of transactions per second, perhaps, but you have a B2B channel. Uh, it's worth looking into the setting, I think, for uh, instead of doing integrations towards a separate third party um, e commerce solution. It's very good to investigate. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, okay, so my next one is a, is a small one. Uh, I've been looking in a bit to the cleanup, jo- cleanup jobs uh, last weeks. And one of the new things that arrived in 10.0.26 is the ability to set up cleanup jobs for product attribute values. Um, as usually in, in uh, Dynamics, we, we have a lot of uh, normalized fields, which means that we don't, have, uh, we don't have the values directly on the product, but we connect uh, value lines to product product lines and in that case uh, when we when we remove the connection uh, we don't remove the actual product attribute value but we just disconnect them mm. and and that means that we will have a lot of things laying around because th- the whole point is that we should be able to reuse uh, for instance product attribute values and connect them to an another product mm. And have them the same, and but but if we if we don't have any products that use a product attribute value, and we don't foresee actually having any products that will use it, then we can actually clean it out, and that will mean a smaller, leaner database. Yeah, that's very nice. Especially if we especially if we've had, I mean, we could be in a situation where we have actually gone through our our products and and replaced a lot of uh, attribute values. Uh, I know that you and I have discussed like the the color palette and such before. <laughs> yeah. That colors colors doesn't really have a, a specific name. I mean, they they could be blue, but they could also be sky or or water or ocean or anything like that. So be- beach. So why why is it blue? It should be sand. No, it's beach blue. That's a number of things, right? 
yeah. And and in and in that case, if if uh, the old uh, value is not modern anymore, then you might as well clean it out because we you will probably never use it again, because all of the products that had that value are already sold out. So. In that case, yeah, it's a technical maintenance, and it's a very good thing to mention. I think I I would guess it's similar to the dimension inventory dimension cleanup, kind of the same setup where you try to um, make use of, of reusing uh, attributes. I mean, inventory dimensions cleanup uh, process is just cleaning up anything that is no longer used. Of course, you fear a minimal like performance hit because you have to recreate it, but it's a it's a good housekeeping thing to, to set up. And I think in, in specific, specifically, it might be that you change categories. Um, you don't, uh, well, you change the structure or you move around or you use uh, categories or remove attributes completely that you, you, no, you no longer want to use this attribute for this category or this node, etc. And that's where it comes into play because then you have a number of redundant records that you're never going to use anyway. So it's it's a good housekeeping measure to bear in place, absolutely. Yes, and and uh, I would like to just uh, mention uh, cleanup jobs in general. That I think that it's uh, if if you come from an AX twenty twelve uh, situation, that you then you normally historically haven't used that many cleanup mm. jobs. But I think that uh, since you're paying an huge amount of money for storage in in FNO compared to your internal disks or SANS or whatever. Um, I think it's a good idea. And I think especially that you should probably try to figure out if there is another place where you can store the information that you are no longer using in finance operations, because it should probably not be in finance and operations. No, <laughs> exactly. I mean, Data Lake is a good good first bet to, to, uh, to start there. And then, I mean, plan out your data retention strategy, what you want to do with with historical data but uh, i know previously i mean a lot of these discussions before we had the idmf do you remember that one the intelligent data management framework um yep. i don't know if any of those solutions exist for like um 4365 uh, now there was a lot of like a lot of these tools available to minimize db storage um and they should be viable today as well i'm not sure that's maybe a different topic we can have a special podcast on that one later on yeah and, and i also i also think that that uh, i mean one thing that comes up when you talk about cleaning out data except for regular uh, approval and such uh, is auditors yeah and i mean historically when we didn't use computer-based systems we basically took the the books and we moved them out to the basement <laughs> uh whenever whenever the year was closed and i think we should probably have s- sort of the same routine and I mean, even though the auditors need to get to the information, they don't actually need to have it in the in the system. They need to be able to to see it. And and I think that maybe there there should be a good case made for for creating some some way of of making it available to auditors, but without keeping it in the in the original system. Yeah, I think it becomes a cost balance thing as well. I mean, in a cloud solution, uh, if you're if you have to pay for um, for the storage of data, and that becomes an issue, uh, then it's really up to to the supplier in this case, Microsoft, there needs to be solutions to, to handle that kind of archiving um for for like legal reasons as well so i i think it's a topic we should dive into really um and and do some more homework first because i think a, a lot of this guesswork but the topic always comes up but how 
how much data should we save, etc. Specifically in like migration projects, but then, and then you can like a clean slate. But then in a couple of years' time, you still you come to the same question: <laughs> how many, how much data should we save? What can we delete? Um, I mean, anything that's not really posted, you could theoretically delete. So it's a lot of um, a lot of discussions and topics to cover there. And um, uh, I think historically we've we've been using the the pr- process of b- better safe than sorry <laughs> exactly uh, let's yeah. ke- let's keep it just to be safe yeah absolutely. And, and i think the problem is that the cost now is a bit higher so now you need to actually think about it i guess so yeah i mean the, i know a lot of horror stories from like from experienced people printing a cop- printing a physical copy of all of their email and putting it in, in folders because it might be good to have <laughs> it's like okay and i know i had one um uh, not an auditor but a finance um um, person who, who printed out everything and, and recalculated it on their own calculator just to make sure the system counted correctly. So uh, I think that those are those days are gone, I hope, and uh, that level of trust is, is still there. But um, but it is a viable topic to discuss. I mean, it, it is not only from a cost-saving perspective if you are paying for data storage, but also from a performance and, I mean, um, just good housekeeping uh, specifically, yep. making sure that we don't store terabytes of un, of redundant data uh, if we can get rid at, of it. at least not in a place where it's the most expensive no cold storage yes. exactly yes yep. cold storage yep. is, is perfectly fine and and with cold storage i don't mean basement i mean low cost <laughs> <laughs> i mean a low cost yeah. data lake uh, similar solution exactly yeah all right so what's next on your list uh let me check i have a financial part this is actually part of 25 um but i just noticed it so i I thought i'd bring it up anyway and it's budgeting related and it's also a little experience of mine that in a lot of discussions with finance in new implementations as well as um, well uh, activating new features the budget is always like a discussion do we use budget Uh, many people or many organizations use external tools for calculating budget but then you want to kind of import budget because you want to track it in dynamics and or the ERP solutions where you kind of you you can keep a real time or near real time tracking of the budget um, or uh, how well you keep against the budget. But uh, there is now a little tool uh, for a mass update of budget lines. It's it's a very simple it's DMF, and you could do it before as well. But this just simplifies it. There is a parameter. For each budget plan uh, that you can like a button you can use excel add in or you can just uh, it's a pre-created template to be used for uh, mass uploading budget lines uh, so you can still calculate the budget in whatever tool uh, you deem fit or that you use today or excel as a majority of companies use still and then you can upload it into the system uh, more easily so it's a nice little add-in and then you can safely say that we can do budget uh, any way you like but you can upload it then into the uh, into ERP yes all right so uh, my next one is actually a bit sad sort of because <laughs> one of the if, if you're a bit nostalgic and have been working with IT for a while then you one of the nostalgic <laughs> nostalgic parts in in uh, finance and operation is that things tend to look a bit like Windows 8 with the live tiles and you scroll sideways as you did on the first surface uh, tablets and so on. Um, unfortunately, a bit sad that Microsoft is now removing the the horizontal scrolling and replacing it with vertical scrolling. So <laughs> the workspaces that that um, are 
released from 10.0.26 will be oriented in a uh, vertical scroll instead of a horizontal scroll. So I guess you need to think about it when you build your workspaces uh, because they won't look exactly the same, but uh, <laughs> otherwise it's basically no difference. All right. And I think the, the the use of workspaces is really that was really like forward looking when it it was part I, I don't remember was it part of the original release of um, the old AX7 Rainier um, or did it, that come later uh, the workspaces I don't I think remember. it was part of the original one because I I think that it's, that it's actually uh, the idea is is quite old and and you can see the same thing uh, a bit if you look in in. Um, uh, uh, sales CRM and, and so on, yeah, but, yeah, uh, of course. Right, yeah. but but as I, as I said, I I think I I mentioned this I think last time we talked that I don't think that they are ex custom workspaces are not that uh, well used actually. I <laughs> no, think. exactly. It doesn't didn't at least again from experience, and I, it's strange really because I, I from a. Like whenever I talk about dynamics at clients and other places, it's kind of, it's a very nice little sales pitch really, because it's really understandable. You can go here and here you can see, uh, you can, how many uh, orders do I have to work with? And you can really like, if you design it properly or, or use a process that kind of matches how it's built properly, there's a lot of thought that went into it. Like you can go here and this is where you can do your daily work. but. A lot is kind of oriented around uh, a specific role performed by a specific user. Um, and uh, the reality is that a lot of these uh, roles in reality do a lot of stuff. So you need to have a lot of workspaces. But but the point, and uh, it usually ends up just running through the modules using favorites and like uh, <laughs> turning off. And now with the views specifically, you can like build your own little uh, personalization and people learn it doesn't really matter if you have 20 buttons if you only use two of them you kind of learn to just use those two you don't in the end you don't see the other ones you just do that so i think i think that's one of the drivers for it yeah but i think one of the a, a bit sad parts is that uh, i mean the if if you look at the x2012 uh, p customers tended to do a lot of uh, customizations and adding mm -hmm. fields and buttons and specialized functionality yeah. to <laughs> to the to the workspaces in 2012 mm -hmm. which had really a huge impact on on the system yeah and which was something that we needed to maintain uh, forever and ever and ever yeah. and now that we moved to dynamics 365 you still have this option to do changes to the standard workspaces but and with with almost the same impact. Yeah. But the the problem is that if you do custom workspaces, you basically have no impact at all. You mm. just rearrange things and put them in a different canvas, which means that it's it's fairly easy as as long as you. I mean, it's not that often that fields get renamed and and moved to different uh, entities and so on. So they are fairly low maintenance. The custom yeah, yeah, workspaces, and and still, they're not being used because I I think that, I mean one of the things that I've said about uh, 2012 and and FNO is that they are fairly overwhelming. If you get into the UI for the first time, it's it's re almost overwhelming to see how many things there are. <laughs> so being able to making it a lot easier would be a good thing, I I guess. But yeah. um, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's worth investing some time into that because, I mean, 
if you really um, only do a, no a number of like let's say 10, 10 things in the system each day that's what you use um, you normally you go you stick to favorites right but um, I, I think it would be interesting to kind of to uh, elaborate on that and see what can be done more with the work use of works or maybe some statistics I mean Microsoft should easily be able to pull out how many people how many organizations actually use workspaces more than they use their more the regular approach of uh, working in the modules it would be fun we'll have to kind of snag one uh, someone from microsoft to, to, and uh, hope that these figures aren't uh, <laughs> aren't uh, sensitive so they can be they can be broadcast all right so uh, what's uh, what's your next one is it my turn um yeah i have a number of ones but i'll just take a brief um i'll take two because one of them is just another um recommendation to uh, to look to remember to look into docs uh, because i think it's a lot uh, previous versions of dynamics had okay documentation as long as you knew where to look for it and these different platforms but docs really becomes better and better uh, it's a lot of um, good knowledge over there and i just uh, when browsing through the releases here um I found a very good Reddit before, but it's been updated. That's why I bring it up now. It's an explanation of each of the um, inventory value models used in, in Dynamics. It's really nerdy stuff, but it's uh, something I think is quite fun. I always have some... Uh, now, now that I actually understand some of these models, at least, uh, on a level that I can explain it. But I used to struggle a lot with FIFO models and... Um, uh, moving average uh, so we like in how to explain it how does it work how without a whiteboard to kind of do a lot of examples but now if you go to docs you have a number of um, well they were there before but they've been updated um, explanations and graphs and charts on and really makes it easier for you to understand because that's a very critical thing for any organization to to do if you come from an ERP that maybe doesn't use that or you don't have uh, the same options in your current system um, the decision of which inventory value model to use is very very critical because that's something you don't easily change um, it's connected to a lot of um, well uh, constraints and has a lot of impact so uh, not a, not a decision you should take lightly and um, if you're not sure of what it means then go to docs and read up, up on it that's something that was lacking before and I think it's really um, it's good to see that it's there now um, so read <laughs> docs and, and check the FIFO uh, specifically and the weighted average and moving average um, documentations the other one uh, just quickly to mention this is an old favorite of course as well the inventory visibility app it's clear again that they're investing a lot of time and coming new features into those uh, one of them being the uh, atp the available to promise functionality uh, where you are able to kind of tie in it's simplified um, if you don't have stock on hand you're able to see when is it coming into stock you could simply describe it as so it's um, makes it easier for specifically for e-commerce options and also for physical stores retail where you can well we don't have it now but it's uh, it promises to to be delivered next week etc so it allows the atp functionality to be um, involved in the uh, visibility app and another third sorry <laughs> when on the topic of inventory visibility is also that uh, whs uh, enabled items are now also properly handled it says that it now supports it it was i think it was a bug before where if you have open work on an item which is uh, warehouse controlled whs controlled uh, or enabled it calculated the quantities wrong because it's they well it summarized the inventory transactions and not taking into account the work types 
but now it's supposed to handle both regular warehouse enabled items and WHS, WHS enabled items, which is a good thing. Yes, that's good. Uh, so I would like to actually recommend something that is not in finance and operations. And I got wind of this uh, this week, and it's actually called Dynamics 365 and Microsoft Power Platform Release Planner. It's actually a new uh, uh, platform for release notes in finance and operations, uh, sales, and in um, Power Platform. And this means that you can actually here, you can actually uh, create your own release plans so that you have a good overview on what's coming next in the next release, which features are available, um, which features, when the feature will be set to uh, on by default, uh, when the feature will be set to mandatory and so on. So um, it's a really good way to be able to uh, to plan for the features. And and uh, with with that, I would like to add an, a recommendation again that that you actually try to to plan this in in the release in your release cycles as soon as possible, even though they don't need to be enabled day one of of uh, of the release. But you should plan for them, and you should definitely make a list of all of the new features and see if there are any that you can actually make available from day one in the in the sprint so that you can start testing them right away and those are generally the ones that either don't apply to you those should be enabled and the ones that that doesn't require any any uh, major configuration or user training because the ones that require user training or maybe a, a lot of setup those can wait until the next sprint that's not a problem but but all of the other ones move those out of the way so that you don't keep a, like a technical debt in in your uh, in your release i think yeah. that's important it's really good advice and, and, and any um any solution that simplifies because that's also another um not so much everyone has their own way of handling releases and sprints etc and um maybe many use the same tools but release notes and kind of i'm not saying you should stop listening to this podcast you should not <laughs> but <laughs> anything you can do to kind of simplify your own um uh, your own way of keeping up to date and knowing what's coming but also like making sure that you don't miss features i think uh, any tool and um uh or well aid that you can get to, uh, to help you do this is, is very good yeah and I, and I absolutely think that if you're doing like a uh, application lifecycle management with some kind of an agile approach you should definitely move the features into like user stories uh, at the, at the sprint in the sprint so that you can actually make sure that they are configured they are set up they are enabled and that you have the entire lifecycle of over all of the environments and and all the way up to the production release that's important i think agreed yes next one is yours it's mine again. I don't. I don't think I have any more. I could bring one up um, just by looking at the release notes. There are a lot of stuff. I just one mention here is that it's fun to see that they're investing into fixed assets uh, again. <laughs> I think I mentioned this before. It's a module that I haven't really seen any much changes in because it's not. It's not that changing. <laughs> it's fixed assets. I mean, it's something you do. 
um, it doesn't change that much, but it's it's fun to see that in this release uh, there are some new changes coming in. You're able to kind of you're able to change the status of a fixed assets by using entity um, DMF. Um, so it's I believe it's kind of built around the easier migration and easier handling like power apps for for handling fixed assets. So um, that's that's the only thing I have left on my list of of nice features for this release that I've. Um, thought worth, worth mentioning do you have anything else yes i actually have one thing and and i really need your help interpreting something here because <laughs> um i got a, got a link from one of my application consultants the other day regarding uh, microsoft dynamics 365 for finance and operations on premises the local business data version the one mm. that you run in your own data center and there are a couple of things here that is is quite noticeable and one of them is that it says the following, the product lifetime of finance operation on-premise software ends December 2027. <laughs> and it also continues to say, licensed customers who are in compliance with this policy are entitled to product support. Product support is available at the minimum through December 31st, 2027. So that means that, that if Microsoft doesn't change anything, I mean, January 1st, 2028, as I am interpreting this, <laughs> we will no longer be able to run the on-premise version. You'll be able to run it, but it won't be supported, right? Is it the, isn't it the same story as with the X2012? It's also end of life. So it, it makes sense. I, I mean, we've had this discussion before. It makes sense from a like life cycle perspective or what was... Pro I haven't been involved in, in any on-prem installations for Dynamics. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of input. I know it's tedious to set up and I know it's it's there for a reason and a lot of people are invested in, in um, data centers and want to kind of capitalize on that before it um, before moving to cloud. And it was always in all the discussions about on-prem uh, in the whole life cycle of, from AX7, etc. My, my understanding has always been that it's it's there to support you until you're ready to, to go full cloud. It's always always been how I understood that Microsoft kind of gave us this option to to, to run on prem because it comes with a lot of a lot of um, uh, requirements to set up and manage of your own. You have to maintain all of the certificates of your own, etc. But it does give you an option to run on prem and run it in your own data center. Basically, running Azure in your own little data center. But it was always like, do this. Of course, you can run it for a couple of years. But it's always going to be cloud first, like in a while. And now, if I if I understand what you say correctly, it's that in a while is coming closer. Yes, and and one thing that's also worth mentioning here is that, as you said, if you run on premises, you you know this already, and you and that is that you need to run it in something called Azure Stack HCI, which mm. is basically a, a packaged version of Azure. Yeah. But with that being said. It's not actually supported to run it in your own Azure subscription. <laughs> so you are not allowed to run it in the actual Azure. You are allowed to run it on-prem in your Azure, Azure instance, but not in Microsoft Cloud. No. Because if you're running it in Microsoft Cloud, the only supported version is to run it as, as Microsoft is intending it to run. Yeah. I think I think it's a lot of cool technology here. That Azure Stack is really cool. I've seen a lot of cool like, like the, the edge scenarios where you have some of uh, offline functionality and offline capabilities and the replication um, of on-prem data centers towards cloud is really cool. It's like uh, something that that's, uh, and I understand the need for it in a lot of production scenarios as well. So I'm I'm not saying, but I. I 
looking at the whole Dynamics ERP solution uh, for Microsoft to support two um, two versions becomes. I think it's a lot, lot of issues for them, right? You need to always be able to think about these two scenarios. Will it support offline? Will it support on-prem? So uh, it makes sense, of course, for them to do it. And uh, I just hope, and it's a long time away still, um, the, but uh, and therefore it's good to kind of outline it right now. But uh, but again, it's, if it's the same as AX 2012, what does it actually mean if you're in that, if, if, you're, if you haven't migrated fully, in 2027 it's not that everything's gonna it's not y2k bug all over it's gonna shut down and <laughs> planes will stop working no 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 ab- absolutely but but uh, it would be it would be really i'm i'm really curious to see how because there are there are customers who have uh, chosen this version for compliance reasons yeah of course that that me- meaning that they can't really choose another option because that's not available to them no and in that case i'm wondering how how they are going to solve this i mean one 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 option here is actually that i mean one of the reason for for the compliance issue is that you are required to run in a data center in your own country yeah. and and microsoft i mean microsoft right now is building data centers they have opened their data centers in sweden i i read today that they are building a new region in finland mm. so that means that maybe they are they are uh, plugging these gaps meaning that even the ones that are doing it for compliance reasons are actually able to run it in in microsoft data center yeah and it's also i mean placing a bet on that, that compliance is um it's sometimes I've been in discussions where it's kind of interpreted. How do you interpret that? You have to, do you have to have the actual ERP production business data inside um, these uh, the country, uh, or is it a copy? It's a lo- always open for discussion. So it's 2027. I'm guessing it's, it's a way away. So this is a way to also put a little pressure on uh, that discussion and making sure that um, Mike. I don't think Microsoft can change the legal regulations, but if enough customers within a country. Um, object about something, it might make it easier for them to to kind of change those regulations. I'm not sure, but again, at 2027, it's it's a very interesting thing to bring up because it um, kind of puts a deadline on um, when when something needs to happen. Either you start still run on an unsupported system, or Microsoft will extend that uh, support for a while. Also, a perfectly viable or reasonable option to to go with, um, but. Uh, um, in the end, uh, it's in the long term. It makes total sense to kind of go full Azure cloud and not having two separate little versions where you have to always think about the fringe case that it might not work on prem. You have to update those little lists of whatever is not supported in the on prem versions, etc. So, I understand um, long term to go with just one solution. Me not being bound by such regulatory demands, so it's easy for me to say. <laughs> Absolutely, but but there is also uh, another aspect of this, which I know that we've been talking a lot about in in other other podcasts that I'm doing, and that is the, the the data protection issue of this. The problem is that that if you if you for instance take public sector in Sweden, it's highly doubtful if you're allowed to use an, a US uh, data center supplier anyway. You need. You probably need to use. You can't. You can't run your your um, IT at the company that that is under U.S. law, because that means that they have complete jurisdiction in all of their data centers, mm-hmm. meaning that there is no 
guarantee for data not to leave the data center in Sweden, for instance. Oh, exactly. Which is a problem. And, exactly. And that's a discussion that's really um, super important to be clear about because I've been in dialogues like a couple of years ago with, with Swedish um, governmental, uh, like communal, communer. <laughs> Not sure what the English word here is for that one, but a smaller subset of, of uh, governmental that kind of they were they were um, hesitant to discuss ERP in the cloud because it was like it's a, of the, out of the data perspective storing data. We we want to make sure that we keep the data within Sweden, and we were like, but you 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 guys you use Office three six five, you use SharePoint Online, and this was back when when they uh, everything was run in Ireland basically. <laughs> It's like oh, yes, we do. Oh, so they didn't really see the the difference there. But about okay, it's it's not okay to store documents outside Sweden, but it's okay to store ERP data. That's a little. It's super important to be clear about this. I think for all um, for all parties. Yeah, but but as a, as a tangential note, uh, I know that for instance, uh, the municipality of Stockholm has actually stopped their office 365 rollout yeah because of of these legal issues so they are probably as it looks right now they are probably backing out of of running office 365 altogether just because of this issue yeah exactly and it's because this other municipality thank you for the word (laughs) that's what i was looking for uh that this other one then that we just they didn't realize this so it's i mean it depends on you have, that's why you have to be super clear. What are the actual uh, rules of the game here? And I think Microsoft is trying to, to adhere to those by like um, data centers in Sweden. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if Dynamics is planned to be uh, or is um, in the near future at least uh, able to be deployed within uh, the Swedish data centers. But um, before 2027, maybe that might be the case. So um i think the only solution to that question if if the rules stay the same that it needs to be uh within specifically for municipalities of course uh, that makes total sense you don't want that to be on a foreign foreign soil then you need to have a local data center uh, without replication absolutely so with that i think we are absolutely done for today uh, we've actually been a bit longer than usual, but um, we have a couple of, of interviews lined up. So I think that there will be coming a, a couple of extra episodes going forward. Uh, but until then, um, see you later and have a nice day. Thank you. Have a nice day. Take care. Bye.